Good morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, we'll be in Psalm 23 this morning. If you want to open it up or turn it on, whichever avenue you use personally. My name's Aaron, uh, teaching pastor here at Living Hope Columbus. Uh, I've been having a great day until a little bit ago. I ate breakfast and I grabbed an apple and it looked good. And then I took a bite out of it and it was rotten inside. So now I have trust issues. But uh, outside of that, that is the most disgusting thing I think I've ever experienced in my 32 years on this planet. So... Never again. Psalm 23, if you will stand with me in honor of reading God's word this morning. One verse we're going to zoom in on today, verse 5, and God's word says this. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Jesus, thank you again, Lord, for this day, this opportunity, the privilege that we have to be in your house with your people to study your word and glorify your name. And Jesus, I pray now as we continue our journey through Psalm 23 that your spirit would continue to illuminate your word, God. Give us the ears and hearts we need to hear from you this morning and the hands and feet to chase after Jesus when we leave here. Father, go before us. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We're continuing some of the theme uh, that we did last week in Psalm 23, verse 4, the valley of the shadow of death this week looking at the battle that we all face as we talk about this idea of the invitation to the table. And I'm sure in some capacity, each one of us, maybe even now where you sit in the existence that you're living in, that we felt the weight of the reality that our life is a continuous battle. It seems to be this constant battle that we're engaging in moment by moment where we move from one battle to the very next battle to the very next battle to the very next battle often unable, it seems, to be able to catch our breath or to find a little bit of relief from this constant tension and struggle in which we find ourselves, leaving us feeling at times very weak, weary, and defeated as followers of Jesus. I know I'm not alone in that sentiment. I think back to a portion of my life last year, maybe not the most intense battle that I've ever had to face, but we're in just a period of maybe four or five weeks. We had a series of car troubles that we could just not rectify. Uh, I've told you before, when car troubles come into my life, it seems like they just come in waves and they come a lot. And so we had the series of car troubles where it felt like, all right, we finally have resolved everything. Our cars are functional. We can drive them from point A to point B. And then on a Monday morning, I came downstairs, and right at the entryway to our home, at the bottom of the steps, there's a couple of can lights right there. And out of those can lights was flowing, not trickling, flowing water. I'm not an expert. I know nothing about electricity or anything in that regard. But I know that water is not supposed to come out of your can lighting. We seem to hopefully resolve that problem. I'm still, honestly, I'm not sure if we have, but I think we have. Uh, we seem to resolve that problem, and then just a short bit later, just a couple days later, I was getting ready to leave to go do some stuff for the church, and I hear this loud crash come from our upstairs hallway, and I walked upstairs, and no joke, literally, our attic just decided to fall out. It was like, pfft, all of it laying on the floor. Giant hole in the ceiling, about five feet across. It was unbelievable and ridiculous, and I, I wish I was making this stuff up. It's lighthearted, but we all enter into those seasons, those moments of time where it's just one battle after a next, after next, after next. And maybe for you personally, I, I know this to be true, but there's some folks that are seated in this room this, at this moment that you're facing some of the most intense personal battles that maybe you have in your entire life. And the question that I want us to address today from Psalm 23, verse 5 is this. 
How does the follower of Jesus maintain their composure during those times? How do we continue to, to walk confidently with Jesus in the midst of the continuous battle that we're engaging in and that we're fighting? You see, it's similar to the valley that we looked at last week in verse 4, but I think this is a little bit different. I'm hoping we can shed some light on this here in Psalm 23.5. In this passage, David is continuing to take us on this journey, just six simple verses that are packed with a ton of truth. Now in verse 5, David takes us to this point in this uh, psalm where he's taking us to a table that he's been invited to sit at. Not only sit at, but we see here in this passage that David is sitting down for a meal with his Lord. Not just sitting down for a meal with his Lord, but David continues to show us in this verse that he's doing it in the presence of his enemies. Sitting down for a meal with his Lord in the presence of his enemies. All of this happening in the midst of a battle. And I think a transition is occurring here in verse 5 that's significant. We've said up to this point that David has really been giving us this sheep-shepherd scenario throughout these first four verses, which is true. And some people, when they go down to verse 5, they continue that analogy, and we're going to explain that a little bit more as we journey through this passage together. But I think what's going on here is David is transitioning the imagery that he's using here now in verse 5 and in verse 6, where he goes from sheep and shepherd to warrior and king. David introduces a battle that he is now engaging in as a warrior, but doing it in the presence and the confidence of being in the shadow now of his king. Don't forget, David was not only a shepherd at one point, but at the time he pens this, he was now a king and a warrior, something he intimately knew well and could write about. As we said just a moment ago, I think we're still in the valley. Let me recap that for us if you weren't here last week. We talked about last week, the valley of the shadow of death. These seasons of hopelessness and trial that continue just to to really overshadow our lives. When everything seems hopeless around us and the weight of the world is bearing down on our shoulders, what do we do? David says that he found comfort in the shepherd's rod and the shepherd's staff. We said last week that the rod was this tool of correction and protection for the shepherd. For us, that would be the word of God. We said that the staff was a tool of of gathering and guidance, which for us is the Spirit of God. And in both of those, it's where we find comfort in the valley to continue to press forward and move forward with Jesus. But now David gives us this picture that we're still down in that valley, but this time we look up and we are surrounded by our enemies. The battle is raging. It reminds me of Psalm 121, verse 1 and 2. It'll be on our screen. This is known as the Psalm of Ascent or the Soldier's Psalm. It says this, I lift my eyes towards the mountains. What does that mean David is? It means he's down in a valley and he's looking up to the mountains. Then what what does he say? Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Down in the valley looking up to the hills, looking for help. But in Psalm 23, 5, rather than look up to the mountains for help, we see here instead that David simply looks across the table to where he finds comfort and help in his king. I want to look at the three things that David talks about in here. He talks about the table, he talks about the oil, and he talks about the cup. I want to show you why these are significant. First off is the table. There's so much confusion here in these verses, as we said, between this shepherd-sheep scenario or this warrior-king perspective. I want to talk about the shepherd and sheep for a second just to make sure that we're on the same page, and then I'll transition us as to why I believe this is a warrior-king imagery here. 
Some people would say that shepherds, one of their main tasks was to rotate their sheep to different pasture lands, similar to what we talked about last week, to ensure that the sheep had the right things to graze on, to ensure that the pastures were not overgrazed. And so they would go and rotate their sheep throughout these pastures. And sometimes I have read that these pastures were actually called tablelands, which makes sense if that's the reason, how we're going to interpret verse 5 that the shepherd would rotate his sheep through the tablelands. And what he would do is he would go before his sheep, before he took them to this brand new pasture, and he would prepare the tableland for the sheep. That meant things like he would go and remove any potential barriers that were in the way for the sheep to get to the tableland. He may go and he would uh, take away any potential hazardous threats that were present on that pasture. Maybe the shepherd would go ahead of them. He would eliminate any of the weeds or plants that the sheep could eat that could potentially harm them. You get the picture. The idea was the shepherd going ahead to provide a place for sheep to graze where they could do it at peace and unprovoked from potential danger that surrounded them. That's one way to interpret this passage of Scripture. But where I think we lean, and several other folks do as well, is we step away from the sheep imagery for a moment. And we picture David now at a literal table set before him in the midst of a battle where he's dining with the king. We all know that in the midst of a battle, if you've seen any movies, maybe you've experienced this personally, that if you're in the midst of a battle, traditionally a warrior would not stop for a long meal. If you're in the midst of a battle, traditionally a warrior would want to eat something quick, something they could get down fast so they could continue to engage in the battle. But the picture here is different. David gives us a picture of stopping, being at peace, and at rest when his enemies are surrounding him and the battle is raging where he sits down to have a meal with his king. It's interesting to note, you're saying, Aaron, how, how, do, how do we know this continues to support this idea of a warrior king scenario? The word that David chose to use here in verse 5 in the Hebrew is actually a word that refers to the king's table. That's pretty significant. He uses a word that refers to a king's table. We're going to see that in a moment in 2 Samuel chapter 9. I think David is trying to show us something here that not only do we have a shepherd-sheep relationship with Jesus, but we also have a warrior-king relationship as well. Why is this so important? The king's table, why does it matter? Listen, you don't get invited to a king's table because you're nobody. You ever thought about that? You don't get invited to a king's table uh, without having some sort of merit on your side. You have to know somebody or be somebody to be invited to a king's table. That's just common knowledge. 2 Samuel chapter 9, if you want to turn to the Old Testament with me real quick. We see this play out. I want to show you this, this playing out very specifically. King David invites his late best friend, Jonathan. You read throughout 1 2 Samuel, you can see David and Jonathan's relationship. Absolute best friends. Jonathan has now passed away. He has a son. I'm going to say this wrong. Mephibosheth. Y'all, if you ever name your kid that, I'm not dedicating them, all right? You just need to do normal names like Joey and Steve, all right? Not Mephibosheth. But King David invites his late best friend, so Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, to the king's table. Look at this, 2 Samuel 9, verse 7. Mephibosheth can't believe that he's getting to go in the presence of the king. The Bible actually says that he has some problems with his feet in some capacity. It's not very clear as to what's going on. He was not a very well-respected individual from what we can gather. But look at verse 7. David said to him, Do not be afraid, since I intend to show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Right? There's the relational connection there. He said, I'll restore you to all of your grandfather Saul's fields, 
And here it is. You will always eat meals at my table. Not because Mephibosheth had any merit. It wasn't because of anything he did. It had nothing to do with who he was. Why was he invited to the king's table? This is going to preach in a second. Because of who his dad was. Because his dad was Jonathan, he was invited to David's table. Look at what he says in verse 8. Mephibosheth paid homage. He's like, I can't believe, David, you're inviting me. And then what does he say? What is your servant that you take interest in a dead dog like me? He said, I'm nothing. Who am I that I'm invited to the king's table? Do you see the gospel? Do we see the gospel present in Psalm 23, verse 5? It's the God of the universe inviting us to join him at his table, being in his company. Even when the battle is raging around us, we're still seated at God's table. I've done nothing to earn it. He just does it because he's kind and he's loving and because I come on Jesus' merit, not my own. That's why I get to go to the king's table. Notice this also. You know what catches David's attention more in verse 5? than his enemy? It's God. It's the one sitting across the table from him. Look at what he says. You prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He doesn't care what his enemies are doing. They're up, in, they're up all around him. He doesn't give a rip. He says, no, no, no. I'm at the table, and that's absolutely incredible. David was more awestruck that he's invited to the table rather than gazing at the battle, he gazes at the king. Man, that's a lesson for us. Rather than gaze at the battle, he gazes at the king. So listen to this. If we have these battles raging around us, which we all do, right? There's something going on right now. What do we do with that? What's the antidote to not focus on the battle? It's to find community and intimacy with the Father at the table. That's where we get our eyes off the the battle and gazing on to the King. Friends, that's what we've been invited to do. Listen to this. Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. This is going to be 11 verses. It's a lot. This is going to make sense in a second. I think these 11 verses are some of the most theologically rich in the entire Bible. I think these are some of the most Jesus-exalting verses in the entire Bible. Let me read these. I want to read them and just let these just soak over us real quick. Here's what it says. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Pause. Do you see how much in these verses Paul is thankful for his king? He can't get over it. He's like, he he chose me. I had nothing to do with it. It's just out of his good favor because he wanted to, that he chose to show kindness to me through Jesus. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ. Right. So now he's introduced Jesus. I'm not only thankful for God, I'm thankful for the work of Jesus on the cross. As a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth. Then he goes to eternity. Watch this. 
In him we've also received an inheritance because we're predestined according to his plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. This is a lot. Verse 12. So that we who already put our hope in Christ, those who are at the table, might bring praise to his glory. In him, there we introduce the Spirit now, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you heard the word of truth, you heard the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. That was the moment of your salvation, 14. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. If you, if you can read those verses and not realize that Paul thought being invited to the king's table was a big deal, something's wrong with you. Paul can't believe it. He talks about eternity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And Paul's sitting back going, can you believe what they've invited us into if we simply believe? They've called us into a relationship with them. Not because of who we are or what we've done, simply because God is kind. Here's the key. Where'd Paul write this from? A Roman jail cell chained to a wall. In the midst of a battle while chained to a wall in a Roman jail, Paul can't get over the fact that he's been invited to the Father's table. My goodness. To enjoy a personal relationship with God. Ephesians 6.20. Look at what he says at the end of this book. Ephesians is just all about the greatness of Jesus. Look what he says at the end. He said, for I'm an ambassador in chains. Paul's not whining, complaining, or griping. He's chained to a wall, and he says, Jesus placed me here on purpose, for a purpose, with a purpose, and I'm going to take advantage of it. Then what does he ask the church in Ephesus to do? Pray that I might have boldness to speak the message as I should. Why? Because I've been invited to the king's table, and I want other people to be there with me. It doesn't matter if the battle is raging around me. My gaze is not on that. It's on Jesus. Friends, that's the key. We've been invited to God's table. Then something significant happens in Psalm 23, verse 5. The, the oil is introduced. The oil. Let's look at it from a sheep's perspective real quick. For a sheep, we said a, a few weeks back that a sheep would often be pestered by various insects and, and bugs that would just literally drive them to the point of madness, constantly shaking their heads, trying to ram their heads against things just to provide relief from these different pests. Some of these flies I've been reading about, they said they not only were worried about them pestering the sheep, but also some of these flies we talk about would actually bite the sheep, lay eggs in their face or under their uh, skin somewhere that could lead to infection, lead to poisoning. You get the picture. So often what shepherds would do is they would have this jar of oil that they would keep. And if they had a sheep that was being pestered, if a sheep that had developed some sort of infection upon its face or its body, these, sheep would, or these shepherds would take this jar of oil and they would pour it over the sheep's head, pour it on the sheep's body, and rub it in and it provided a soothing relief from the distress. But it also provided a barrier against any other pests that would go and bother this sheep. For the warrior, if we go that direction, oil was just used as a soothing agent. A soothing agent from wounds that you could have um, gained within battle in some capacity. Oil was used to nurse these wounds. It was a cleansing agent that they would often use if you had any wounds that needed that. Either way, the fact remains the same. The picture is no different. The oil was viewed as something soothing in nature for the sheep or the warrior. Throughout the Bible, if we go Old Testament to New Testament, we see uh, anointing oil used basically in three capacities. It was used for worship, for healing, and it was also used to commission somebody for a specific task. Let me show you these pictures real quick. Mark 14, verse 13, we see it used for worship. 
Jesus enters a house and it says in verse 3 that while Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at the table and a woman came with an alabaster jar, very expensive perfume. Right, this is a type of oil that she's using, perfume of pure nard. Nard is a, a, a type of anointing oil. And what did she do? She broke the jar and she poured it on Jesus' head. It was an act of worship that she was engaging in. James 5.14, we see James as he's writing to the church. He says, hey, uh, if anybody is sick among you, you call the elders, the pastors of the church together. You pray over them, then you anoint their head with oil in the name of the Lord. It was meant to be a symbolic thing of healing. But here in Psalm 23.5, I think that's not only the direction that David is taking us, healing and soothing in nature. That's what the oil was used for. But also in Scripture, we see over and over that if your head was anointed with oil, it means that you are equipped, called, and empowered to go and engage in a certain task. And for us, that is the battle. We're equipped, called, and tasked with engaging in the battle that Jesus has called us to. So what's the New Testament equivalent? Friends, we see this over and over. It's the Spirit of God. You know, I are anointed with the Spirit of God to go and engage in the battle. You can read throughout the Old Testament where oil was always symbolic of the Spirit's presence in somebody's life. It was a symbolism thing that was all over the place. Now, this, man, this is, I love this. Psalm 23, 5. If the oil was meant for soothing, healing, and comfort, think about this. What is one of the names of the Holy Spirit that Jesus uses very specifically? He's the comforter. Jesus never said anything on accident. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. John 14, verse 26. Your Bible may translate this differently depending on your version, but it says this. My Bible says the counselor. Often translations will say the the comforter, our Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things. He'll teach you all things and remind you of everything that I've told you. His name, the Holy Spirit's name, literally, you can look it up, means the one who comes to provide you aid. Paul, or Peter said in Acts 3, verse 20, that with the presence of the Spirit, refreshing comes to your life. That's one of the roles of the Spirit in our lives in the midst of the battle, that we're reminded that we find comfort and peace and soothing and healing in the presence of the Spirit. Why? To refresh our souls from the battle. When we're weary, worn out, and distressed, it's the Spirit that refreshes our souls. But not only that, we're empowered to engage in the battle. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Flip there with me real quick. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus reading from the scroll of Isaiah. Check this out. This is what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Watch this. Because he's anointed me to do what? Preach the good news to the poor. He sent me. There's commission for a task. To proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set free the oppressed. Here's a simple principle for us real quick. The mission of Jesus is your mission and my mission as well. It means we've been commissioned and tasked with the same thing. To preach to those who are weary, distressed, worn out, that you can find peace, comfort, and refreshing, and you've been invited to the table of our King. Friends, here's the very last one. Move through this quick. It's the cup. I think this is one of the most significant ones that we need to see here is the cup. And here's the reminder that we find in the cup. That no matter how tough things may get in my battle, some of you are dealing with things right now that I've never had to deal with. 
You, you, you got some tough stuff going on. The cup reminds me, no matter how tough things get in my battle, that one thing remains for certain above all, that praise Jesus, I'm not God's enemy. I can have a thousand battles around me, a million enemies come against me, but the greatest news in all the world is because of Jesus, I am not God's enemy. Therefore, I'm good. I'm good. No matter how bad it gets, I'm good. Why? Because I'm not God's enemy. That means I'm good. Let me explain this a little bit more. Let's, let's look at the cup in verse 5, Psalm 23. The best way I've heard this explained was this way. Imagine that, that, that God is up in heaven. He's holding two cups. One cup we see mentioned in Scripture is a cup of blessing. One cup is a cup of cursing. There's basically two cups described throughout the Bible. The cup of blessing is the cup that's poured out on those who are right in the sight of God. When God has a holy standard that He, he wants us to meet, the cup of blessing is poured out on those who can actually meet that standard that God has set forth. Therefore, they're right in the sight of of God. But then there's the other cup, the cup of cursing. The cup of cursing is the cup that is meant for those who are enemies of God. Those who have turned away from God, want nothing to do with Him, have rejected Him, for them, that cup of blessing will be poured out upon them. Now, it makes the most sense that the cup of blessing should be poured out upon Jesus. This is the Son of God, the one who lived the perfect life, did everything that God called him to do, perfect unity with God the Father from eternity past. The cup of blessing is deserved by Jesus. Then it makes even more sense that the cup of cursing should be poured out upon you and I who are enemies of God and who have turned away from him. Romans 5 verse 10 talks about that. But because of the gospel, the opposite happens. The two cups are still present, but on that cross, God took the cup of his cursing and wrath. And what did he do? He poured that cup out upon Jesus. And Jesus absorbed all of the wrath of God. Do you remember what Jesus said in the garden? Matthew 26, verse 39. It says, going a little bit further, Jesus fell face down and he prayed these words. My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. What's he talking about? The cup of wrath. The cup of cursing. God's wrath that was going to be poured out upon him on the cross. But then what does he say? Yet not as I will, but as you will instead. Friends, on that cross, Jesus took that cup of wrath and literally drank the entire thing for us. Why? So that we could drink of the cup of blessing. That we get the blessings of God that is an overflowing cup. Do you know God's blessings? They never run out. That's why the cup is always overflowing. And if you've been invited to the king's table... You get to partake in that cup because you've repented of your sin. You've trusted Jesus as your Savior. Therefore, you can partake in the cup of blessing. Friends, hear me. No matter how bad the battle rages around me, no matter how many enemies come against me, my Jesus is still good because I've been invited to sit at a table with him in complete and perfect peace. He's anointed my head with oil and his cup of blessing will never cease to overflow upon me. And you may think to yourself, Aaron, but you don't know what I've got going on. I might not, but if you've trusted Jesus, you are not his enemy. And that is an eternal blessing that will never run out. That's where we camp. He's good. He's good. Life isn't always good, but he is good. David's gaze was not on the enemy, it was not on the battle, it was on the one sitting across the table from him. Therefore, David was good. I want to close with this story. 
or a story this week, a lady named Margaret. This is a true story. And they were at this church meeting, and everybody marveled at Margaret, this, this older lady. And they asked her this simple question. They said, Margaret, you seem to be making an impact on the world around you, leaps and bounds. What's your secret? How do we as followers of Jesus make an impact on the world around us like you do? She simply responded with two words. Have peace. Have peace. And then she continued to expound on this. Somebody said, hey, tell us more. What do you mean by have peace? Describing the area where she lived, she said this. There's 11 flats in this block where they had found themselves. She said, everybody in every one of these buildings is facing difficulties just like us. They all have trials just like we do. They're all facing challenges just like us. But here's what my neighbors need to see. Somebody who can do it with an unshaken peace. That's the difference. How do we do that? It's the recognition that I've been invited to a table that no matter what battle I may find myself in, friends, I got the Spirit of God in me to soothe and comfort me. When the world comes crashing down around me, He will never leave me nor forsake me. You can take that to the bank because it's in the book. I have the Spirit. Not only do I have the Spirit, but I've been blessed beyond what I deserve because I was an enemy of God that was invited to be a friend of God for all eternity. And the Bible says that that will never be taken away from me. Nothing can snatch me out of the hand of God. And because it's in the book, I can take it to the bank and it's never going to change. I'm good. The battle can rage, but I'm good because I'm at the king's table. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for your word for this day. And I pray now as we sing to you, Lord, as we're processing through your word, God, that you would take the truth that we've heard today from, from your, your book, and God, that, that that word would implant itself into our hearts, Lord, that it would continue to blossom and bloom throughout this week, Lord, so that what we know to be true, God, would actually be manifested in our lives. And in the midst of the battle, Jesus, I pray we would never run from you, Lord, but we would continue to run to the table where you've invited us to sit with you because it's there, Jesus, that that's where we find peace. That's where we're good. And I pray that's where we stay. Father, as we sing now, I pray that your spirit and Father would just lift our voices up to you. Incline your ear from heaven to hear our praises. Lord, I pray it's a sweet sound to heaven. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray these things. Amen. Friends, let's stand as we sing.